The Bible tells us that Jesus will return one day in power and in glory. Until then, how should we wait and live? This sermon is a part of a series on the book of 1 Thessalonians called Living at the End of Time. We hope you enjoy today's message. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who was our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you, and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you, and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us, and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. So here's what we find in this chapter. Paul's heart is just overflowing with love for this church at Thessalonica. It bursts with joy and love for them, but he can't be there. So he sends Timothy as his messenger to convey his feelings and his warm desire for them. Timothy comes back with a strong, positive report about how they're doing. So I began to think as I was working through this passage some weeks ago, many of us are parents and grandparents. We have children who may be away from home, out of our immediate influence, perhaps studying or working. Many of us as grandparents and again our grandchildren are perhaps wherever they are working away. We're not sure how they may be doing. Harriet and I, for example, have a granddaughter studying in France. We have a grandson who just graduated from the Royal Military College in Kingston. We were there a year ago to see him. Who tells us that next year he may be posted to Europe to train and assist soldiers in the Ukraine. We have other assorted grandchildren kind of here and there. So many of us are in exactly the same kind of situation that Paul's in. And what his heart was pounding was, was this. We're thinking, how do we pray for the people we love? That's the point of the chapter. Your children or grandchildren may be following Jesus. They may not. I don't know. But I do know with certainty that that's an issue that tugs at your heart. We may have parents that we want to pray for. Perhaps nieces and nephews we think about and need to add them to our prayer list. Our hearts often ache for those we love and we feel helpless to help them. And like Paul, we can't get to them, to hug them, but we can pray for them. And Paul's heartbeat in this chapter gives us some ideas, some starters as it were, about how to pray for those we love. If you are not married, don't have children this morning, 
you're single, maybe you have a close friend that you care for. And again, this will give you a framework on how to pray for them. There's other ways, of course, I've just picked the, the, the headings as it were out of this chapter. So here's where we might start. If there's an overarching purpose or goal for our prayer, Paul tells us what it is. It's the reason he sent Timothy. He said, it is to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. The Greek word strengthen, we use in English for our word steroids. We're praying that God has strengthened them. And encourage is the same word that we, to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit that comes alongside them. We can't be there with them physically to encourage them, but our prayers can come alongside them. When Harry and I came to Canada some 55 years ago, it was not easy to communicate for us with our parents back in Scotland. Very simply, we could not afford the, the long-distance telephone charges to call them. So every week, we used to buy and write those, you know those blue airmail folding letters that you got? And you wrote on them, you folded them up, and they stuck? Young people, you haven't a clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> I know that. Because today... We can call all over the world. We have a phone system in our house that we can call anywhere in the world without charge. We can use FaceTime. We can be, we can be in touch with people instantly. So there's no excuse for us for not contacting people we love. So how do we pray for them? May I suggest this? Our first step is this in your sermon notes or in your mind. Take just a moment now and write down the name or names of those whom you know should be on your prayer list and you're going to start with that this week, this morning. You do that. Just write a name down. And then I'm going to give you five simple headings. There's so much more, but five headings suggesting what we might pray for. Obviously, we pray for folk who want to come to Christ. Here's what we can pray for, for our family and our friends, our children, grandchildren, whomever. Verse 3, we pray for them as they face the trials of life. So Paul says, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well how we are destined for them. Now trials in this verse does not refer to the temptations of Satan. That comes next. Nor is it some end time tribulation just before the Messiah returns. It just is what happens to us when life throws stuff in our face. It's the day-to-day -day pressure that comes just because we are living in a world. Jesus uses the same word for us in John 16, 33. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. It's the word for pressure. The Greek word is thlipsis. But take heart. He says, I have overcome the world. James, the little brother of Jesus, picks it up this, in his letter. He says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials... That's a different word in Greek. Trials of many kinds. Because he says, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish his work in you so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Now, all of us want to be mature and complete. We don't want to be childish. That should be a goal for each one of us. And one of the ways that we get to that goal is by working through the trials and struggles that come in daily life. If we learn from them, James says, <clears throat> they produce perseverance. 
And when that does its work in our lives, the finished product is maturity. But when we sidestep them and avoid them, it means we often, it means that the lessons that we really need to learn are simply postponed till a later date. Pressure these days for many people may be financial. University courses, exams, your jobs. It's important for us to realize that God has not permitted or arranged these tests to trap us, to trip us up and make us fall. God does and can use difficult situations in our lives to test our faith. That means to make us stronger, to refine us. And so our godly response to times that are difficult will prove the quality of our faith. So when the people we're praying for, children, grandchildren, whoever, tell us they're having a tough time or a tough day, our prayer should not be that they quit and throw in the towel. Rather, our prayer should be that they press through it. That's a a prayer for all of us in those times, to pray, Dear Father, what is the secret that lies in this event? In other words, what do I have to learn in this, at this time, in my walk towards maturity and completeness? Another prayer. We pray for them that they will be strong in the face of temptation. That's verse 5. 1 Thessalonians 3, 5. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and that your labors might have been in vain. We live in what I call in We could talk a long time about a seductive and a sexual culture. It is easy for people these days to be seduced in their minds and their spirits by evil forces whose goal is to destroy years of faithful living from a family. Jesus knew the power of evil. That's why in Matthew 4, he faces three temptations from Satan who wants control of his life. Jesus knows the need of the power of the word of God, his life. That's why he says in Matthew 4, it is written, man, and by that means not male, it means all people, shall not live by bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. At a previous point, I've taught you that the word for word there is not the normal word logos. It's the word for a specific truth, a specific word that comes in the word. And so it's vital that each one of us that we are reading and we know that we can become skilled in knowing God's word. Later in James, James 1.12, blessed is the man, the person who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Back in James 1 and 3, you got to catch this. James uses the word trial, meaning a trial in life. He who uses the same Greek word, but with a different meaning. Now it's a trial from Satan. His point is, things happen in life and come before us. God can use those things to make us mature. Or Satan can use those same same very things to pull us down. And then he says to us in James 1 again, catch the verse, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Notice the order. A tempting solution comes before us. That in itself is not evil. That's just living in a world. And then it grows into some desire that plants a seed in us. This gives birth to sin, which means an act of sin. Sin grows and it gives birth to death. 
The word for birth there is the animal word for birthing. It is saying to us, in our lives, it spawns death. God plants life in us. Satan plants death in us. We know that there are all kinds of temptations in our society. We will always be tempted and faced with all kinds of things. Our weakness does not lie in the fact that we are tempted. Our weakness lies in the fact that we give in. Satan seldom makes a frontal attack. Do you remember the Chronicles of Narnia? The white witch. What did the white witch use? Turkish delight. Our prayer may be to challenge those whom we love to recognize the danger of Turkish delight. Let me suggest one area in which we need wisdom today in our fast changing culture. Something we can and I think we must teach our children and young people. It's where we need to, we see the, the strength of an internal moral code. First of all, understand how I use two words. The first word is legality. That's what the criminal code of Canada allows us to do. The things that are legal or illegal. It's what you're allowed to do without being arrested. Law can and will change to reflect the sociological climate of our day. Also the changing moral temperature. That's legality. Let me give you another word. It's the word morality. This is the inner moral law in us. It is the moral demand of the kingdom. We might also call it kingdom ethics. It's what God and his word call us to and demand of, of us. It's what we're expected to do. It is the moral demand of the kingdom. Now, there are two ways in which these two words or kinds of law interplay with each other. First of all, there's legality. It has a certain width, space. You got that? And so is morality. That means, frankly, folks, that there are many times, many occasions, many situations in which the legal parameters, what's demanded of us, and the kingdom parameters are really the same. The same law, the same lifestyle is demanded of us, whether we are Christians or not. Very simply, traffic laws. Red means stop, green means go. They apply all in the same way, Christians and non-Christians, in all kinds of different situations. Here's the next situation. There will be a growing number of issues today in which what is legal, what has legality behind it, is wider or has more latitude than the inner moral code. Inner moral code. By the way, we often call that freedom. And then there's morality, which is narrower. And we find this shifting legal code in our society in such areas as drugs, sexuality, and alcohol. And if we, have a, if we do not have an internal, strong internal moral code, then it is easy to assume that what is legal is automatically moral. It is not. It is not. This, this then becomes the easy place in which people, many younger people, young adults, who have a weaker inner moral code, or perhaps no moral code at all, can become tempted and yield to temptation. We hear such excuses as, but it's legal. Everyone does it, and so on. To which the answer from the kingdom is, 
So what? We are called to follow at times the narrower moral code of the kingdom, the law of God. Just because something is legal or everyone else does it, does not give us the freedom to follow. We follow a different law. Jeremiah calls this the law written on the heart. Now let me, can I get those two, the last one back again, please? Okay. An interesting situation develops if you reverse those. What is happening in our society when if we could reverse those, I didn't do that, I'm sorry. If what is moral or the kingdom, the ethic of the kingdom is broader and wider than what the law and the inner, the law and the legal code of our land calls for. Think about that. That requires a different sermon. So our prayer for our friends, our children and our grandchildren is to have the commitment to a strong inner moral code and then to have the strength and the stamina to hold on to that in our, in our seductive society. In one of his books, Dietrich Bonhoeffer simply says, Satan demands to have a man, a person, he means, by themselves. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, bad company ruins good morals. It means that when we are alone or in bad company, we are at our most vulnerable. We are at our weakest. So one of the things perhaps we pray for our children and our grandchildren is that they would find and have a strong Christian friend who would stand with them and who will help them, as Ephesians says, to stand firm against the flaming darts of the wicked one. You read about that in Ephesians chapter 6. Years ago, I once said to a young woman who was being seduced by the nightlife and who was being drawn away from her inner moral code, I said to her, Satan does not care about you. Satan wants to use and abuse you. And then he will discard you and throw you out when you are done. But God loves and cares for every inch of you. We need to know that. Let's move on. Verse 9. We remember our, those we love when we pray for them with words of thanksgiving. Verse 9. In our human nature, it seems so much easier to be critical rather than thankful. It is so easy to find fault and blame others, to have a critical spirit. We're quick to find fault, aren't we? What does it mean to start each day with a word of thankfulness, a text of encouragement, a word of gratitude, a word of appreciation? Once we've stated that, we may find it hard to follow up with a word of criticism. Something from last week. Harry and I were in Walmart. We needed to do something in the photography department. We actually wanted to make an enlargement in one of their machines. I will tell you that was well beyond our technical ability. So one of the guys in the photography department came to help us. And he was really, really patient with us as we struggled to do what we were trying to do and what we wanted. He worked with us for about half an hour. And eventually we got him done. We thanked him. And on our way out, I don't think I've ever done this before. 
We stopped at the customer service department. I spoke to the person there and I said, we wanted to make a report on somebody, one of their staff. I just saw this girl's eyes roll. Like another complaint. Here we go again. I said, no, no. We would like to write a note of thanks for this guy and what he'd done. And we would like it to be put in his file. I don't think she had a form for that. <laughs> I don't think it ever happened before. Here's my confession to you this morning from me, just from Tom. By my nature, by the way I'm wired, it is very easy for me to be a critical person. I know that. This is where God is trying to get into the crack in the rim of my soul. He's a long way to go. But he'll work in me. Here's a practical challenge. Try for a day. Be thankful at the start for those we live with. Those in our house. Then the people in the office. Be thankful for the people at Central. Be thankful for people who drive in front of us on the road. <laughs> now and again, I'm behind somebody at lights. And I'll think to myself, it's not going to get any greener. <laughs> That's your training exercise for the week. And mine. But we need to understand this. We will not be able to be thankful for people, especially those whom we love, if we start with criticism and disapproval. It just will not happen. We will not be able to pray into people's lives to bring God's word into them if we start with criticism and disapproval. Note the full text of verse 9. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Paul is saying, we have joy in the presence of God because of you. Imagine if we wrote that to people we love. We have joy in the presence of God because of you. Tell them that. Start with thankfulness. You've got to move on. When we pray for what will help them fulfill their faith. That's verse 11. What do they need? Well, it seems pretty simple. It seems to me that grandchildren, especially if they're away from home, can always use money. Paul says, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again. Night and day, by the way, doesn't mean once a night, once in the morning. It means just kind of continually. For what is lacking in your faith? That's a strange phrase. What does it mean? It really means to repair or to restore. It's the word used for fishermen repairing nets that have been torn and need repaired. It's the word used for a surgeon setting bones. It's the idea of completing something that needs to be finished. Filling up something that's not quite full. So here's an idea. Sounds really simple. Rather than trying to guess what's going on in the lives of these people whom we love, what if we ask them, how can I pray for you? What is it that you need in your life right now to help you grow? Where are you having difficulty? What are you struggling? What is not coming together for you? And then begin to pray into that. 
Maybe it's a book that they would like to address some area in life they're struggling with. You never know till you ask. I have a sense that we may not think about doing that. We just assume we know what they need or where they're struggling. We may be miles, of course. So what if we to ask them and pray into that? The final paragraph in this chapter is a lovely, lovely benediction. It's what we call verses 11 to 13. By the way, I think you realize that the chapter headings and verse numbers that we used to get around the Bible were not part of the original text. Some of them actually may not have appeared till even as late as the 1500s. But here it is. You get a sense of this just burst forth from Paul's heart. Now may the God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everything, everyone else, just as our does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God, our Father, when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. Here's maybe the final thing we can pray for. It's when we pray for them to be complete, whole, mature Christians. We sometimes say as we pray for people, oh, they're on our list. We're praying for their spiritual lives. I know what we mean. Can I suggest we change that a bit? God is not interested just in the spiritual lives of our children and our grandchildren. That's too narrow. He needs to broaden that. Because God is interested in their whole lives. All of their lives. Everything they do and what they are about. He's interested in how they spend their leisure time at school and how work is going. Where friendships are at. God wants to strengthen their hearts in all of these things and so much more. So that they will be holy and blameless in his sight. We want to take a moment to thank you for listening. And we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings in person or online. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast.